Today we're talking about discipleship essentials, about commitment today. Today's word is about commitment. The date was January 2nd, 2003. And there was a plan. The plan was to ask my future spouse, will you marry me? In the occasion, we were in Florida playing in the Orange Bowl, and uh, that was the big event. But the problem was this. When the game started, with the opening kickoff, they ran it back 100 yards versus us. And that thought crossed my mind, if we don't win, this ain't happening this weekend, okay? And uh, But God had it, faith, that we would win, and we did. And the very next day, I would get on my knees one knee and uh, have my ring in hand and ask Charlotte, will you marry me? And she said yes. She said yes. And uh, we did get married and uh, we did go through a ceremony that formalized our relationship and our commitment to one, one another. And all meaningful relationships require commitment. Every single meaningful relationship that we have has a degree of commitment and it needs to be mutual. It needs to be seen at the same level, or whether it's one or two, pe- uh, two people or more. We need to come at each other with the same level of commitment. And so today we're talking about commitment to the local church. And the local church is the primary context of discipleship. This is where the New Testament talks about how discipleship takes place. And it's given in the context of the local church. And Evergreen Church is an example of the local church. And I want to ask a question before we get into the message here. What makes a true church? What essential things need to be there for a local church to be a legitimate church? Well, the Reformers came up with three marks of a true church. I mean, this is the bare bones minimum. This is, this is the bare minimum of what needs to be there for us to consider ourselves a true church. And number one, faithful preaching of the Word of God, the Bible. Is the Bible being taught and preached? That's number one. Number two, the faithful administration of the ordinances of baptism and communion. Is the local church administering this faithfully with the full meaning of what it was meant to be uh, by Christ? And number three, Faithful ministry of church discipline. Church discipline, where at Evergreen we call it church restoration, but church discipline. Is church discipline a part of the life of the local church? Now the two ordinances, I just want to talk about this for a second here, are two symbols of commitment. First of all, baptism is just like a wedding ceremony. It is a one-time public affirmation of our commitment to Christ and to his body. It's a one-time public affirmation. And it binds one to the many. In essence, brings one person into the big body of Christ. And it also makes known to the local church who is a committed follower of Christ. Because we need to be able to identify who's an actual Christian, who's a committed follower of Christ. This identifies one of us to each other. In communion, some people call it the Lord's Supper. It's just like an anniversary meal. It's a regular, ongoing reaffirmation of our commitment to Christ and to His church. Now, in a wedding, there's just 
the couple, but in communion, it's a corporate reaffirmation where all of us are able to reaffirm to Christ, our commitment to Him, and to one another. Yes, I'm committed to the local church here. And where the many become one. In 1 Corinthians 10, I'm just going to read this before, before we get into our passage in Romans. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says this, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for, for, for we all partake of the one bread. By taking the Lord's Supper, taking the bread, is very emblematic of us Identifying with Christ and with one another. One body, one bread. In Acts 2.42, where we get our discipleship essentials, Paul talks about the breaking of bread. Paul is talking about communion here. In essence, when Paul is, I mean, not Paul, the, uh, the writer of uh, Acts, Luke, is talking about communion in Acts 2.42. And what communion is emblematic of is commitment. Commitment. So today, we want to see what does it look like to be committed to the local church. We're going to be at Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll start from verse 4 through 9. But as you're turning there, a little bit of context. Romans 12 is the therefore, meaning the first 11 chapters of Romans is written to tell the church all the treasures that we have in the gospel. The gospel says that we've been saved from sin. The gospel says that we have been adopted as children of God. The gospel says that we have victory in Christ. The gospel ultimately says that we are one with Christ. So chapter 12 goes into the therefore. And so as you, if you're able, please rise with me. We're going to read uh, Romans 12, 4 through 9. Romans 12, 4 through 9. And this is written to the... Paul writes this letter to the the church in Rome. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray your spirit will allow me to preach your word faithfully. I pray your word would allow, your spirit will allow your word to sink deeply into our hearts so that we will love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. In America, we have a commitment problem. This message may be challenging for some of us. In our, our Americans pride ourselves on freedom and independence. We want to enjoy the benefits without the commitment or responsibility. For example, we want to enjoy the benefits of friendship, of belonging, without doing the hard work of going deep with one another. We may even want to enjoy the fruits of victory, uh, be part of a team, without the price of sweat. 
We might even want to get paid at the workplace without even working these days, seems like. In marriage. Many of us in America have resorted to cohabitating. As marriage rates have dropped in the United States, according to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2019, cohabitation has tripled in the last 20 years. Tripled. According to the Pew Research in 2019, 85% of adults approve of cohabitation. We're fitting our worldview to accept this sort of a lifestyle. And perhaps this mentality of wanting the benefits without being committed and, and, and to an organization has infiltrated into the local church in America, where church member, membership has dropped, Yet many want the benefits of the local church. People want to be taught. People want to be part of a community. People want to enjoy certain programs that the church may offer. Or come under counseling or receive some pastoral care. Without the formal commitment to the local church. And commitment is a discipleship essential, meaning you need to have this in order to benefit and to grow as a disciple. And discipleship is the central theme of our church at Evergreen. We've been talking about this for months, for a while now. So church family, it's in your diagrams, perhaps you memorized already. How do we define discipleship at Evergreen Church? How do we define discipleship at Evergreen Church? Well, based on Matthew 28, 19 through 20, discipleship is committing, there's that word, committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Right? Committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. So today, we're going to try to answer one question. Just one question. All the points are driving home to answer this one question. How do we commit to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness in the local church? How do we commit to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness in the local church? All right, this is what we're trying to answer today. So let's get to point number one. We commit to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness by committing to membership of our local church. Membership. Membership. Let's turn to Romans 12, verse 4. For just as we have many members... In one body, there it is, the word members, and all the members do not have the same function. Verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The body is a metaphor for the church. I mean, Paul uses this metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and I believe he's trying to get at the organic relational elements of being part of the church. Relationships. Relationships. And this word members carries the meaning of different parts and, and, and a part of the whole. Small parts that make a bigger whole. And these members are useless on their own and, and quite frankly, wouldn't survive on its own, right? We would understand this in the body part. If any of our body parts get cut off, give enough time, this body part will not thrive. So a member of something larger, right? 
and individually members one of another. That means that we belong to one another. Ephesians 4.16 talks about members are jointed together. Ephesians 4.16 talks about how members are working together. Body parts are working together to build itself up. That means that members are interdependent upon one another. They're committed to one another. Members belong to one another. There's, there's no Lone Ranger mentality in the church. We belong to each other. We need one another. And as Paul writes this at Romans 12, is Paul talking about the universal, meaning, meaning every single Christian globally, or the local church? Well, I think we can answer this to our, with ourselves just by simply understanding who Paul wrote the letter to. Paul wrote the letter to a local church. The church in Rome, the Romans. I guess in a general sense, we, we could include that we are members of the universal body. That's true. But all the things that Paul talks about is lived out in the local church because we see each other on a regular basis. We could relate to each other on a regular basis. So my question here is, is formal membership necessary? Is that, is that necessary? Is this a biblical concept that God calls us for? Is formal church membership necessary? Or can I just be part of the church and not formalize it? Well, I believe it is. Just like a marriage, you would like to formalize that. You need to formalize that union, that, that, that you need to define that relationship with one another. For example, let's talk about how the shepherd relates to the sheep. That's an important aspect here. In Hebrews 13, 17, 13, 17, the author, the author of Hebrews says to obey your leaders, submit to them, right? Obey your leaders, submit to them. Does that mean that every single one of us needs to submit to anyone that calls themselves a pastor or any Christian leader? Of course not. What the author of Hebrews is talking about is obey your leaders who are over you. In Hebrews 13, 7, a few verses earlier, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their faith uh, and of their conduct and imitate their faith. Those who are leading you, those who are feeding you, these are recognized leaders in the local church. These are the people that you submit to. So this is not a blanket statement where every sheep submits to every so-called pastor. Look at, look at how clear that is. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it also says this, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So as a shepherd, as an example of a shepherd, am I accountable for every single Christian on the face of the planet? Of course not. Of course not. Who I'm going to answer to and also all the other pastors and leaders of our church are going to answer to is this, how did we care for the sheep at Evergreen Church. These are the ones that God's going to hold us accountable for. So this is very important how we understand this. First Peter 5, 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's what Peter writes. And in Acts 2, 41, when the church was born, when thousands were being baptized and giving their lives to Christ, you know what they did in Acts 2, 41? They numbered the people who gave their lives to Christ and who were, who were baptized members. Why did they, they number about 3,000? Why did they do this? 
because Peter and the apostles needed to know who was part of the church. They needed to know who are they going to give an account to someday to the Lord. Remember, the word church means ecclesia in the original language. Ecclesia simply means gathered ones, a community. This is the ecclesia here at Evergreen. This is the body that we're responsible for. Now, what about sheep-to-sheep relationships? I think that makes sense. Shepherd-to-sheep. Now, what about the sheep-to-sheep? I'm a sheep, too. Uh, Is it important to define that relationship with one another? Of course. Ephesians 5.21 says, be subject to one another. Are we to be subject to every single Christian on the planet or any professing believer? The New Testament has 50 plus one another's. These are all examples of how we disciple each other, one another. For example, be hospitable to one another. Seek the good of one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Build up one another. I mean, how do we do this with brothers that we never see? This is talking about life in the local church. So all the 50 plus one another is talking about how you relate to one another, to those who you're committed to. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Employ your gifts to serve one another to those who we are jointed with, in essence. All right? This is where discipleship, the primary context of discipleship happens here in the local church. This is it right here. This is the main thrust of discipleship. Not exclusively, but primarily. And this is where we get to employ our gifts. And I want to go to our second point. We commit to intentional relationships that build Christ's likeness by committing to building, fill in the blank, building our local church. Verse 6 of uh, Romans 12 says this, that we've been given gifts since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We all have been different gifts. This word uh, gifts is charisma, grace gifts. We've all been graced with certain level of gifts. And what are we going to do with these gifts? Next to Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the greatest resource that God gives the church is the brotherhood and sisterhood. Next to Christ, the greatest gift is who he brings to the church because we all bring gifts. We all have different gifts. And Jesus loves Evergreen Church. I tell you this much. We have a lot of gifts here. Christ shows his love for his church by providing for the church. We have incredible gifts. And God is still bringing more gifts to our local church. And we all have different functions. Ephesians 4.16 says that the local church is jointed with one another. Right? This is this, the whole body fitted together, Ephesians 4, 16 talks about, according to the proper working of each individual member, meaning each individual member needs to do his or her role to help the body grow and develop to its fullest, to become more like Christ. Everyone is needed. I have a unique role as a pastor and as a preacher, but we all have a role. Every single one of us has a role. Let me read to you a little bit what Adam read here out of 1 Corinthians 12, 14. It says this, For the body is not one member, but many. Exactly right. And this illustration is so clear. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any, any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it 
not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body just as he desired. We have different roles, different gifts, and exactly how God in his infinite wisdom planned it to be. We all have a role. And Paul in Romans 12 goes off, lists off seven type of gifts, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting, that's encouraging and comforting one another, giving, you know, this is a financial giving, leadership, mercy, this is compassion and practical areas of life. Some of us have the extra gift of compassion. We care. But this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a sampling of lists uh, 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 of the gifts. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 has a list of gifts as well. But the idea here is this. Paul is getting across here is this. Whatever the combination of gifts that we've been given, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are a -a one-of-a-kind work of art. We're God's workmanship, poema. That means every single Christian here is a unique work of art to serve a unique gift, unique role here in the local church. As I mentioned before in earlier sermons, we're like a spiritual fingerprint. There's no two of us alike. We all have different gifts, different uh, variety of gifts, different experiences, different passions that fuel these gifts. We're all different. Everybody matters. Everybody is needed in the life of the local church. This is what God is talking to us about. So in the local church, we must be intentional about committing our gifts. I went to Nebraska, as I mentioned, if you could hear it earlier without my mic, but yeah, I was able to exercise some of my gifts of maybe encouragement and some teaching, some preaching, and it was great. It was great. But the lion's share of my gifts are dedicated to this church. This is where my commitment is. And, and, and all of us have ministry outside of Evergreen Church. Of course we do. That's how we're called to be evangelists and, and to be ed, uh, looking to make disciples wherever we're at. However, I'm arguing through here that the lion's share of our giving, our gifts, our time and energy should be dedicated to building up the local body here at Evergreen Church. This is where we prioritize what we're trying to get done here. And we all have different gifts and roles as we talked about. But however, we all share the same goal. It's to build up what? Christ-likeness. That's right. Building up Christ-likeness is what we all desire to do. So we want to invest deeply. We want to go deep into the local church because this is where we're going to make our mark. This is where the Lord has placed every single one of us providentially to be serving at Evergreen Church. We read it here in 1 Corinthians 12. We're looking for long-term growth. And when we have this mindset, when we have this mindset, I believe instead of focusing primarily on what I can get out of the church, rather, I think we're going to think more like, how can I serve the church? How can I use my gifts to help build up the church? This is the mindset that God's given us. What can I do? What opportunities do I see to serve my gifts? What passions do I have? What experiences do I have that I could bring to serve my gifts? 
And as we serve our gifts, in an absolutely essential ingredient is love. First Corinthians 13 says this, right? We went through Corinthians. I'm nothing without love. I'm useless without love. It's meaningless without love, right? Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians 13. And I heard it said one time, or perhaps a couple times, you know, when we're encouraging people to join a local church, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, obviously this is not a biblical understanding it's hard to love somebody not like their wife or their husband, right? I mean, that's kind of as we learn in Genesis, in our Genesis class, two have become one flesh, it's one single unit. We are the bride of Christ. However, I think we can understand why some people may feel that way. All right, it's not necessarily right thinking, but I can understand why some people may feel that way. Think about it: the church is made up of recovering sinners. We're all recovering. We're all recovering sinners. We're all looking to be edified and sanctified to become more like Christ. And there's going to be friction sometimes between brothers and sisters in the local church. We understand this. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be hurts. There's going to be disappointments that take place. So at times, it's going to be unnatural to love one another, right? It's going to be unnatural to love one another. So the third and final point is this. We commit to intentional relationships relationships that build Christ-likeness by committing to loving our local church. Verse 9 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Christian love is genuine. That's what Paul's saying. It's not fake. It's not fake. And the Christian love is a sacrificial love of the will. It is a commitment. It's a choice to love somebody. It's more than a feeling. We know the church family, right? It goes beyond a feeling or just our natural desires. We're committed to loving you. I'm going to commit to loving you. Similar to as Pastor Paul talked about in marriage. I commit to loving my spouse no matter what. He said it. That's Christian love. That's why marriage is another metaphor for Christ and his church. How Christ loves his church. That's us. And Christ certainly has committed to loving us, right? Even in our own imperfections. We understand this. None of us are perfect. And the commitment to love is to do what's best for the other person. Not necessarily to make them happy. And when I do premarital counseling, well, we talk about this. Happiness is not necessarily the goal. Holiness is. Certainly your spouse will make you happy, but that's not even the goal every time. It's holiness, helping each other become more like Christ. What is best for my spouse? What is best for my brother or sister in the local church to help them grow as disciples of Christ? Let love be without hypocrisy. Love can be fake sometimes, can it? I mean, we could act like we care. We could act like we love each other and just smile and say, hey, and kind of coexist with others who have hurt us. Yet there is no love. In our minds and our hearts, they're, they've been canceled. That's love that is hypocritical. That's not the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. I mean, love is the most distinctive mark of the local church, right? John 13, 35, they'll know you, they're my disciples, but how you love one another, that's what Jesus Christ says. This is what we're talking about here, love. And as, as I preach on love right now, 
do you find it difficult to love someone in this local church? Does somebody come to mind right now? Does somebody come to mind right now where you can love them genuinely? And we understand there's different types of personalities, different types of interests, different types of political views even, right? We understand this. Different views on masks and vaccines and those sort of things these days. And certainly there's different types of hurts and wounds and disappointments that have taken place. This is a guarantee that this is going to happen in the local church. We understand this. Here's some things to consider perhaps to help, right? Let's remember what the breaking of bread means. What does communion mean? Remember our mutual commitment to Christ when you think of that person, whether it's a him or her. Remember our mutual commitment to one another. Remember the things that we share in common as you think about him or her right now. Secondly, pray for them. I'm not talking about praying for curses over them, but pray, pray blessings upon them. Pray blessings upon them. Pray, pray that the Lord would just bless them and help them grow in their godliness. Thirdly, pray for yourself, ourselves. Pray that your heart would just, God will give you a supernatural love to be able to love someone this way. You commit to following Christ by loving him or her this way. For some of us, it could be our own spouses. Marriage is tough. Marriage is difficult. Pray to God that you have a supernatural compassion for this person. Pray to God that God will give you an understanding heart to try to understand this person more. This is a supernatural thing that God's calling us to do. This is not going to be done because of our grit or our mentality. This has to happen through the Spirit. It's a supernatural love that God is talking about here. And and as we love, we must be intentional about loving genuinely, like I talked about. It's a commitment. So what does it look like in the local church? This is going to be pretty impactful here now. In the second half of verse 9, Paul says a whole lot in these few phrases here. So let's look at 9b here, second half of 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, period. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. It's interesting. Paul goes from loving to hating. Let's love genuinely, but let's hate evil. Let's hate evil. This is what it means. Abhor means to hate. And cling to what is good means give, hold on to what is good like a big bear hug. Hold on and don't let go to what is good. Paul is teaching us what this looks like. In, in Galatians 6, how do you abhor evil? Go out for your brother or sister. Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, which is love, right? Love, 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 love. We're called to restore one another, brothers and sisters. This is the greatest need that we all have. We want to avoid evil at all costs. We do not want to be trapped in a sin. We do not want to be deceived and have a hardened heart where we don't understand what is going on. 
This is the greatest need that we all have. If you want to be loving, we need to address these things with one another. Matthew 18, you know what Jesus' first instruction to the church is? What is the first instruction that Jesus Christ gives to his church? Matthew 18 talks about church discipline or church restoration. And he gives steps to restore a sinning brother or sister. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if a brother sins against you, go to him privately and call on him to repent. If he repents, you want over a brother. Hooray. Done. Step one. And I would imagine most church restoration happens right here. 90% of it is step number one. Do I have a brother or sister who loves me enough to confront me about my sin? Well, given a series of tries and a long time of prayer, if they don't listen to you, Jesus says, take it to step number two. Take one or two more with you. Bring more reinforcements to encourage this brother or sister to repent. And if they repent, you want over a brother or sister. Great. Hopefully this is where it stops. This is love, brothers and sisters. It's going to cost you now. This is sacrificial love. This is going to be expensive. This is how you abhor evil and cling on to what is good. Now, if they don't repent, what do you do then? Then you know what you do? Jesus says, bring the full weight and force of the entire church. Tell it to the church so that every church member could pray for this brother or sister that they would repent. And hopefully they repent and they're restored back. Fourth step, Jesus says, is if they don't even respond to the entire church, there's some serious concerns if they're actual Christians. Therefore, put them out. Treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Instead of treating them as brother or sister, treat them as friend now. Look to evangelize them. That's love. And that's expensive now. You're not going to gain more friends doing this, but you're going to go deeper with them. They'll love you more for it. You'll love them more for it. This is the type of love that Christ calls us. This is what genuine love looks like. So when we can look at a brother or sister and I say, I love you, and because you're doing something about the greatest need that they have. I'm going to give you an illustration out of 1 Corinthians 5 here. We went through this last year, but um, there was a situation in the Corinthian church, the local church again, the church in Corinth. We're out of Rome, now we're into Corinth. But there was an issue, an issue that was so public, an issue that was so scandalous that the, even the Corinthian non-Christians were cringing, like, man, that's what's going on at your church? If you guys remember 1 Corinthians 5, a man had his father's wife. You know, a case of incest is, is perhaps his stepmom. And the problem was this. This member was unrepentant. That's number one. But the greater problem is this hypocritical love. The church did nothing about it. They let it happen. They did not abhor evil. As a matter of fact, they clung on to evil and abhorred what is good. They did the opposite. And Paul says, what are you doing? You need to do something about this. This lack of holiness is going to spread like wildfire in your local church. It's going to destroy the church. And Paul says this out of 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. In the, same, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, when we're gathered, here it is, when we gather together, the ecclesia, when the church gathers, 
and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Comma, why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Put him out of the church. Put him out of the church so that they would have time to really consider their spiritual condition so that in the day that matters, in the day of judgment, they'll be found right before the Lord. Is that not love? Do you think that's going to cause friction? Do you think that's going to cause relational strain? Do you think it's going to cost you? Absolutely it's going to cost you. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 5.13. Just move down a few verses if you're following with me. Verse 13 says this, But those who are outside, outside the church, there's a clear distinction. Those in the church and those outside the church, those outside the local church, God judges. God will judge people who are outside the church. That's God's job. But the next point says, Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You see, this is a clear example that church membership does exist. How can you be excluded if you're never included? As clear as can be where Paul is even talking about this. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is love. And the hope is this, right, church family, that they'd repent and they'll have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. What matters ultimately, that is love. That is love. And that's definitely countercultural. I understand that it's, it's a lot safer to just kind of say hey, everything's okay and, or not even say anything, just kind of coexist with one another. But that's not Christian love. That's not loving genuinely. That's loving hypocritically. So as we finish out this message here, let's provide some application. So throughout the New Testament, look for yourselves. All the letters, all the one another's, these are done in the context of the local church, whether it's at Ephesus, whether it's in Rome, whether it's in Corinth, whether it's Thessalonica, wherever it is, this is all in the context of the local church. And the local church is the primary context for discipleship. Not exclusive, but primary. This is where majority of our discipleship takes place here with people who have defined their relationships with one another. And at Evergreen Church, we're going to go over membership at the top of uh, 2022. We'll have classes to talk about what it means to be a church member. And our hope is this, and our plan is this, that older members who are already members, we just say, amen, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm a member at Evergreen. We're going to reaffirm why we're part of Evergreen Church in a formal way. And then we've had new people. We're excited to have people join. And if you're interested, we would love to have you apply for church membership for the first time. And the idea here is this. We want to make clear, have a clear understanding of what it means to be a church member here at Evergreen Church. It needs to be special. It needs to mean something. It needs to be thick. It needs to be rich. And I think we do that by clarifying the benefits that take place, that are going to be offered. We need to clarify the expectations and the goals of the local church. We need to make clear the level of commitment and relation uh, and the responsibilities that we expect from the local church. And so we want to clearly define the relationships so that we could be intentional with one another. 
This is the key, right? We want to be intentional with one another. We don't want to be looking at each other like, do you want this or not? I mean, if you're a member, you're saying, amen, I want this. And I'm going to do this for you too as well. And we have an evergreen uh, church covenant already. And uh, we're looking to continue to uh, build it out. But um, uh, Garrett, if you have a if you have an app, Garrett Noah has placed it in your uh, in your app, and you could take a look at it. In essence, it talks about the benefits that the church family has for you, and also the the expectations. And these are things. This is a covenant that we've already gone over. Uh, uh, Pastor Dan Christian has brought us through in our church membership meetings already. So I'm going to take time to read some of it so we, you kind of have an idea what we've already agreed to who are members. It says this, the covenant of membership at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. We, the church of Evergreen SUV, commit ourselves to loving God and loving others alongside of you. We will love you through prayer, fellowship, and a commitment to study the word of God together. Look at that, the essentials of discipleship. We will rejoice when you rejoice and mourn when you mourn. We will shepherd you, pray for you, provide vision, pastoral care, and counsel, counseling, biblical admonishment, and correction. We will equip you by preaching and teaching God's word faithfully, by modeling Christ-likeness, and provide, providing opportunities for training and service. In response, I, comma, fill your name in, commit, there's that word, commit myself to love God and love others, especially his church, Evergreen SGV, with... These three areas, my talents, as God provided, as provided by God. Number two, my treasures, as provided by God, my giving. And third, my time, as provided by God. And then it says, finally, I commit myself to submitting to the leadership and vision of the church family, promoting church unity, accepting biblical church discipline, or church restoration, and praying for the church leadership and vision. And you sign your name on the bottom, right? So we already have this, and I just wanted to just say that to refresh our memory, but we're going to be continuing to work on this to make it more succinct, make it a little bit more detailed in certain areas. Isn't that exciting? It's by defining the relationship, we know how to function with one another. Just like a marriage, a husband and a wife know how to function with one another because they defined the relationship. That's what we're talking about here. So commitment is absolutely essential to discipleship. And in conclusion, perhaps, let me ask you a question. Do you want to become a church member here? Question mark. Well, the first step to membership is the most crucial and the most essential step of them all. Have you put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you committed to him as your Lord and Savior? That is it right there. Without that commitment happening, there is no membership to any local church. As you're sitting here today, do you know for a fact that you've committed your life? Yes, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, my Savior, the one I love, the one I look to obey, the one I want to serve. If you have, praise God. And if you're not part of, uh, part of the membership, we need to be part of the membership. This is what the Lord says. But if you haven't, let me just take uh, Paul's words from verse 9. Friend, if you're sitting there right now and knowing that you haven't committed to Christ, let me just use Paul's words. Abhor evil. 
Do you hate your sin? Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Do you acknowledge that you've wronged others and particularly you wronged God? And the Bible says that sinners and all of us have sinned will experience the wrath of God in that day. But Paul also says to cling to what is good. None of us are good. Jesus Christ is good. Have cling to Christ right now. Cry it and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need the forgiveness that you offer to me through your death and resurrection. I'm going to cling on to you. I'm going to commit to following you, Lord Jesus. Come to the feet of Christ. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day where you can become a part of the family of God. This is the commitment that matters. And through it, you'll be united to Christ. Through it, you'll be saved from your sins. Through it, you'll be adopted as sons and daughters of God. What else matters? Through it, you'll be victorious because of Christ. And through it, you'll gain a whole family here at Evergreen Church. Isn't that exciting? Church family, church membership is real. Church family is all over the New Testament. This is, uh, church membership is, uh, is an exciting time for us because we're looking to really elevate what it means to be a church member here at Evergreen. We want to see everyone maximized and sanctified to our fullest. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the gospel message, Lord Jesus. Thank you through the gospel. You save us from our, from our sin and destruction that follows sin. Thank you through the gospel that you adopt us as, into your family. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel gives us certain victory in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that through the gospel you've joined, joined us to your son, Jesus Christ, and to his body, the church. Lord, I pray that we will respond. And I, Lord, I pray that you would elevate our view of church membership, what it means to be a member of a local church, particularly here at Evergreen Church. Lord, I pray that you grow our commitment to the local church. And we have a passion to administer our gifts and to love one another the way you call us to love one another, genuinely. Lord, I pray for those who are not members yet, that they will really consider formalizing the relationship with the local church here at Evergreen. And Lord, I pray for any unsaved people here today, that they will commit to following you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, and they'll commit to your local church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.